You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you can join us. Welcome to this episode of WO Voices, a podcast series. We're here today with Dr. Melissa Barnett, Principal Optometrist at UC Davis Eye Center in Sacramento and Davis, and with Dr. Pamela Lowe, um, Owner and Director of Professional Eye Care Center in Niles, Illinois. I'm so excited to speak to you both about the conversation and the opportunity that there is these days with presbyopic patients. We've heard the term the presbyopic tsunami. What demographic trends are aligning now to, to create that? Yes. Well, thank you so much for having us on the podcast. It's always great to support women in optometry, but this is really an exciting time for presbyopia. There are an estimated 1.8 billion people worldwide with presbyopia and 128 million American presbyopes. And the prevalence of presbyopia is widespread. There are many, many people And of interest, the prevalence of unmanaged presbyopia is up to 50% of those over age 50 in developing nations due to a lack of awareness and accessibility to affordable treatment. So now as the millennials are entering their 40s, and we'll get a little bit more into that, the number of presbyopes is really increasing. So now's an exciting time to be talking to all of our patients about presbyopia. Absolutely, Melissa. When we think about that tsunami, that wave of presbyopes now uh, coming into our practices as potential new patients, especially because, you know, the statistic that the oldest millennial turned 40 last year just blows my mind away because when we think of presbyopia, it's usually the baby boomers like me or Gen X right behind who do, you know, um, comprise about 58% of the workforce, those two generations. But now we have millennials just overtook baby boomers in number numbers. And uh, so again, presbyopia is a huge opportunity for us as primary eye care professionals. That's exactly right, Pam. I I love that you say that it's a huge opportunity. It really is. Uh, We can offer our patients so many different options and we should embrace this opportunity that we can help our patients in unique ways. And the digital device usage is contributing, yes? Oh, you know, absolutely. So I graduated in the late 80s. So I was in my training to the mid to the late 80s when I was in optometry school. And when a presbyope was on my schedule, my what my view of what that looked like was way different than my view of a presbyope now. Uh, they walked a little slower. They had dinner at about 4.30 uh, in the afternoon. Uh, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I got to figure out how high their flat top bifocals should be. Right. And so it was different. And back then our visual demands were driving television and reading the Sunday paper. Look at today's visual demands since 2000s, the, you know, the pro, you know, the prolific amount of computers, cell phone, tablets that are out there have just changed the whole, um, range of vision and and accurate, clear vision we need to give our patients. So it really has um, set us up for the great new technologies that are out there, implementing those, educating our patients on those, because there are wonderful options now to meet everyone's needs. 
And just think about the number of digital devices that Presbyopes are using a day. When I ask audiences about themselves and their patients, it's at least three, could be five or six or eight. And I was told that watches are included in this too. But as eye care practitioners, we're on digital devices all the time, doing electronic medical records. Our patients oftentimes have multiple screens that they're looking at for work, for fun, for play, with gaming in there too. And it's such a different landscape, as you said, Pam, completely different than years ago. So you both mentioned this millennial cohort. Um, how is that group different from the, the previous cohorts who have become presbyopic? Well, the demands of a millennial um, have, have been the same since they were growing up. They grew, you know, they basically, the vast majority grew up in the digital device world. And so when you look at the visual challenges of that, and I love that Melissa mentioned gaming, gaming is just huge. Um, and so when we're looking at that, the, the, the demands they have are just at such a high level. And you look at the pandemic that put everybody inside using those devices even more so. Um, you know, it, it's just amazing at the changes we've seen over time in this patient demographic and how we can fulfill their visual needs. I completely agree. Just a few more things to add about millennials is that they have high expectations. They want to be able to do everything like they normally do and quickly. And also they want to I'm going to pause there. <laughs> that was not, that was, okay, we're pausing. I completely agree, Pam. Millennials have high expectations and they want to be able to do everything that they want to do very quickly. And so that's why we have to address presbyopia sooner rather than later. And that's exactly my next question. When should eye care professionals start having that conversation with patients about presbyopia? You know, that's a great point. Just like with any condition that we're managing with our patients, um, you know, I'm not going to talk to um, someone at risk for AMD when they're you know, in that cohort that they're at risk for AMD. I'm not waiting till they're in their 50s, 60s. I'm going to start talking about it sooner so we can be proactive and be preventive. Same thing with presbyopia. We really need to start talking to the patient about what's going to happen. What's the next of the changes in their vision and be proactive on telling them the challenges that will happen. So we start that conversation well into a patient's when they're in their 30s, because again, they're all on digital devices. Usually there's some type of eye strain associated with that. So it's the perfect time to tee up the conversation about impending presbyopia, what it is. And don't worry, it's coming. We're, I'm, not, I'm, not, um, I'm not planting a seed that tomorrow it's going to come, but it is coming and I want you to be prepared for it. And I am here as your trusted eye care professional to make sure you know what our options are when that happens. And we have to look at how presbyopia really impacts our patient's quality of life. In a survey done of a thousand presbyopes, consumers ranked the loss of near vision as the number one factor that impacted their quality of life compared to other age-related conditions. Very surprisingly, I think the loss of near vision was at 60%. Dry eye was 14%. And I always think that dry eye 
really does impact the quality of life. Hearing loss was 39%, high blood pressure was 33%, and high cholesterol was 20%. And Pam, I'm sure you've had these patients too, where they wake up one morning and suddenly they they, they can't see up close. It's like completely life-changing and they come in urgently <laughs> and they just noticed, I, I have, pres- you know, they're diagnosed with presbyopia and it's very sudden and it really can be the first sign of aging for a patient. So we should take that as a very significant finding and give our patients options to improve their quality of life. I couldn't agree more, Melissa. And it's really important when we do tell them about presbyopia, because what's the perception? I'm getting old, that we actually stress, hey, it has happened, but this is what all normal eyes go through. And so we can ease the patient's mind, because like you said, we've gotten that call. They think they have a brain tumor because they got up and they can't read anymore. You know, yeah. patients do, you know, they jump from the, you know, the differentials, what what it most likely is to the worst differential diagnosis it could be. So yeah, it's really important to manage the emotions behind telling someone they're presbyopic or aging or getting old. Exactly. And so that's why talking to our patients sooner rather than later is really important. Because their other option is to stop at the kiosk at the grocery store or the pharmacy, right? And kind of start pulling out the readers and putting those on one at a time. So what might patients be missing when they do that self-diagnosis instead of consulting uh, an eye care professional? Dr. Barnett? Well, this is such a great opportunity for us because those who buy over-the-counter reading glasses, about 31 million Americans who buy over-the-counter reading glasses don't get an eye examination. And we know the importance of an eye examination. We can diagnose over 270 diseases and conditions of both the ocular disease and systemic disease in the eye. So eye exams are so important. And I would encourage all of us to, through our normal day-to-day, through when we're giving eye exams, to talk about these things, talk about everything that we're not seeing in the eye. For example, At the end of my exam, I say, this is great news. There's no signs of diabetes. And I go into some other conditions. There's no glaucoma. There's no macular degeneration. Oh, what's that? Mm -hmm. We can talk about if there's a history of melanoma. There's no ocular melanoma. So informing our comprehensive eye exam patients or the dilated exam, what we're not seeing is very important. But we really know that patients are frustrated by reading glasses. So this was another survey that was done about 55% of patients feel frustrated when they forget to bring their reading glasses to a business meeting or a restaurant. But we have this huge, incredible opportunity to diagnose ocular and systemic disease when we see patients in the practice versus them buying over-the-counter reading glasses. Dr. Lowe, I'm going to suspect that patients who start with the -the over-the-counter reading glasses are you know, they're, they're already off the, the trail. <laughs> they're going into the woods. You know, what, uh, um, what can eye care professionals do to, to help sort of combat that, that self-diagnosis and that, that direction? Right. As, as Melissa was saying, the key is education. And it's not only the, the patient in the chair with the doctor at the time. We feel it's really important to empower 
our team members. Every staff member in the practice is so essential. And you know, the most important person in the practice is the person answering the phone, especially for a new patient, right? It's the first um, relationship they develop with our individual offices. So it's when you look at that education piece and so many new presbyopes emerging, how do we get that message out? So I, I always like to say it takes a village. So at our office, we, you know, we get the message out as much as we can with each team member knowing what that message is. But really, um, it, it is sad when a patient goes to the over-the-counter choice because if they see well at distance, it's going to be a long time before they hit a doctor's office if they feel nothing else is going on. Uh, so as just to reinforce Melissa's point, once we get them in that chair, it's so important to talk about all the options they have and meeting their lifestyle needs, you know, teasing out, you know, we talked about um, the increase in use of digital devices, but what other things do they do? Are they active, you know, outdoors? Are they doing other things? And visual freedom with contact lenses can be so important because the sad statistic that 56% of patients don't even know that there's contact lenses for presbyopia, you know, and so um, it really is important to have when we get that opportunity and have the patient in the chair that we take full advantage of it. Yeah, you're both making that very strong case for developing an individualized treatment plan for each patient, um, you know, talking about their needs, their preferences, uh, the visual demands. So can you each talk a little bit about your approach to developing that individualized plan when you're consulting with a newly presbyopic patient or, or perhaps even one who's a little bit further down the road? Dr. Barnett? Sure. So it's such an exciting time, as I mentioned earlier, in presbyopia, because now I like to give my patients options, and they can be different options depending on the day of the week or what they're doing. If, say, they're bike riding or golfing and or working on multiple screens and or doing a hundred other things, I like to tell all my patients that we do have multiple options. So we have classes options, we have contact lens options, surgical options, and now pharmaceutical options, which can be used in combination with each other. So just like having multiple pairs of shoes, we're not going to wear our high heels on the beach. Um, we do have different options for different situations, and it's really fun to be creative with, this op with these options. So when I present the options, I love when I look at my patient's face and they're like, whoa, I've never heard about that. But to Pam's point, it's really important to talk about these options early. And I like to tell my presbyopes who wear contact lenses there are options for you. This is going to happen. Presbyopia is going to happen in X number of years approximately, but we have various options. And sometimes I'll even plant the seed that there are multifocal contact lenses. We have a pharmaceutical option. There are surgical options. There are all these different options. And I would say now it's the most fun that it's ever been because we have so many different choices. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And it is such an exciting time when technological advances have led us to this point to meet the high demands of not only, you know, the visual demands, but the number of presbyopes that we have. And to your point, Melissa, uh, really teasing out what is the patient doing all day long? I don't think we do enough of that 
one of the things we love to say, because as a doctor in a chair and, you know, we're looking at the ocular health of the eye from corneal surface to retinal surface, there's a lot to cover. One of the clinical pearls we've learned at our office is at the end of the visit to make sure the patient feels heard, we love to say, is there something we didn't discuss today that you were wondering about? Because there could be, you know, I, there could be that silent suffering at some point in their life that I didn't hit on and I thought I was, you know, hitting all the high points. And I love that because when we've changed that as the last thing we say in the exam room, uh, the patient number one feels heard. And then it gives us another opportunity to tease out a visual need we may not have found. And what's true about that is, you know, with, with patients spending more time on their digital devices, I'm certain they're spending more time visiting Dr. Google too. And they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they have questions, right? They've got questions about eye fatigue or computer vision syndrome or blue light or all these things that they may have sort of heard about, but don't really understand. So how does that, that phenomenon of patients wanting to know more about preventive um, ocular health, those kinds of things. How does that fit in with, especially in this sort of post, post-pandemic environment? We've seen a huge shift in patients, um, not only going to Dr. Google, but thinking they know from Dr. Google, and that's, you know, you could take that verbatim and it must be true, whatever they see on the internet. So it's a wonderful opportunity to really talk about high energy visible light, the blue light that they've read and heard about, and how is that different or the same as ultraviolet light protection. So we love having those discussions because uh, unfortunately with high energy visible light, blue light, we don't know a lot of the long-term effects, but I love to tease out with my patients and let them know that what we do know. So there's a lot we don't know, but what do we know? And what we know is that it throws off sleep patterns. You're on those digital devices constantly. And so that blue light makes your brain think it's daytime. So you're going to, the quality and the quantity of your sleep can be disrupted. And that's very important the younger the patient is. Sleep is important for everyone. Um, but the younger the patient is, while, while their brain and their body is developing, it's even of more critical importance. And again, that we don't know the long-term effects as far as um, damage to the retinal receptors that allow them to see. So again, that presbyopic age group is in their 40s, uh, approaching 50s, and they're at risk for macular degeneration. So it's a great entree to talk about the uh, conditions in the eye that are sight threatening and what we can do about that. And obviously filters on spectacles uh, is, is a whole conversation that's great to tee up for our opticians. Dr. Barnett, are you seeing that too? Oh, definitely. I completely agree with Pam that many of my patients are searching online. They're searching for answers. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And so having the opportunity to educate our patients on different options is really important. And agree that the pandemic has brought about more digital devices for all age groups, not just presbyopes, but children as well. And so in the presbyopic group, it is a great opportunity to bring these unique management strategies for our patients. And it's the management strategies and it's the products. I mean, there's this wonderful alignment, right, of, of some, some pretty significant uh, technology advancements and, and um, product uh, improvements 
uh, and enhancements that have occurred in the in the recent past. Dr. Lowe, what uh, solutions have you found work in your practice with your with your presbyopic patients? Yeah, when we talk about visual correction and optimizing that for patients, you know, it really does start start with spectacle wear whether the patient's going to use a pharmaceutical or go into multifocal contact lens options, they need that good spectacle backup. And being presbyopic for well over 12 years now, uh, I've seen enormous advancements in the technology of progressive edition lenses. You know, I, I remember getting used to my first progressive with the narrow corridor, you know, pointing your nose at what you had to look at, which could be very cumbersome, especially on computers, right, depending on where the screens are. So it has just been amazing to offer patients advances in digital uh, progressive edition lenses that just take all those reasons a patient used to drop out. It really lowers that dropout rate and the patient has a wonderful backup that can get them those visual demands, distance, intermediate, at near, way more seamlessly than it had in the past. Right. So those issues of distortion or small coverage areas, those those are, somebody complains about those, you know that they're wearing an older technology lens, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting now, we are, you know, as opticians and doctors, we used to say to a patient, well, it's your first progressive you need to take it home and try it out and get used to it. To be quite honest with today's technologies, if you're using the advanced technologies, there really isn't any getting used to it. It's just like getting used to a new pair of shoes. You know, they might it might feel different because you have a new frame, the optics are a little different, but it's it's really not this oh wait two weeks like we used to say. Wait two weeks. If you're using advanced technologies, uh, you really shouldn't have that wait period anymore. And that's been a game changer in our optical department. Dr. Barnett, do you have any other tips for presbyopia management? Well, I agree that a pair of spectacle lenses is very important, even for all contact lens wearers. But we can offer these other technologies. So we can offer multifocal contact lenses and all sorts of contact lenses. So soft, hybrid, corneal GP, scleral. We can even add in a pharmaceutical option. We could have that with distance contact lenses, or we could play around with it depending on the refractive error, along with a pair of glasses. And we have surgical options too. So it's really, really fun to have all these different options. And early diagnosis, I can't stress enough because it's really important to educate our pre-presbyopes. I even talked to my 20-year-old college-age students that be, about presbyopia because their parents are becoming presbyopia at that point, and educating our patients that we have these different customized treatment plans to that lead to better outcomes and really do help the quality of life. So we have these options to really effectively and efficiently correct near blur. And we have the opportunity to educate our patients on the importance of eye exams and to diagnose ocular and systemic conditions. So it's a super fun time in presbyopia and look forward to the future. It's actually going to continue to be very fun with all the new advancements that are coming shortly. And of course, presbyopia is not going away, is it, as a, as a practice growth area? <laughs> not going away. Not going away. Just more opportunity. 
Absolutely. And always what's best for the patient is always best for our practices. Uh, So again, to reiterate what Melissa said so well, it's an exciting time and we need to look at presbyopia as this amazing opportunity to, number one, educate our patients on their ocular health and the importance of timely annual eye exams for all adults um, and get that message out so that they can become cheerleaders like we are in our offices. That's great. And it's good for the practice. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, it's clear that the millennials are not getting younger, right? So we're going to continue to see this uh, presbyopic tsunami coming, um, this this large wave of uh, patients who need this level of care and education from you. Thank you both for sharing your your expertise and what works for your patients and in your practices. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. It's always great being with women in optometry because you're wonderful at getting such important messaging out. So thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again on WO Voices. If you'd like to be a guest on the series, please send us an email at wovoicesonline at gmail.com, through our website at womeninoptometry.com, through Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.